because but we're just really trying to expand <laughs> the imagination of what it could be and let's just stay out of the isms let's just walk into what is the kind of economy i want to be like and what do i need to change as a company or business to to exist today as close as possible to that economy and let's not prescribe an ism to it let's just be like it's a better life I'm happier. I walk down the street and I have time to spend with my neighbors. I have access to healthy food. My people are paid well. <laughs> like whatever it is, you know, right. let's build that economy. And that's what we hope the podcast helps inspire people towards. Welcome to the Inclusive Leaders Podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. All right. So Jess, I know you as an author, microeconomic activist, and overall just a boss. But um, for those who don't know you yet, could you let them know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so I uh, help businesses and organizations to step out of business as usual, um, to step out of capitalism and into more regenerative and reparative ways of work. Um, you know, there's a lot of macroeconomic shifts we need to have happen at the policy level, at the state government level. But there's also all of this transformation possible at the individual company, business, organization level. Um, and my work in the world is helping leaders, entrepreneurs, workers, um, folks within departments to find where those latitude points are to align their internal operations with maybe their their values that might be more aligned with an economy that doesn't extract our wealth. Mm. And speaking to that point um, and building an, an economy that doesn't extract our wealth, um, what has been the most damaging aspect of the way we work? And what are your thoughts on how we can just improve our corporate spaces? Well, I mean, I think we all feel in different ways, um, independent of what kind of work we do in the world or our positionalities within an organization or company, um, that something, you know, about work isn't working um, anymore. I think I was particularly felt acute during the pandemic. Um, uh, but, you know, a lineage, um, that goes far, far beyond just the, the present context. Um, you know, we exist in an economic system, a dominant economic system at least, that is designed to extract labor and wealth, to have it hoarded um, to a small, you know, a small number of people essentially. So the ways of work that descend from those design goals are ways of work that prioritize the um, diminishing of risk uh, as defined by that system goal, right? So if you're trying to mm -hmm. um, consolidate wealth, you're also then consolidating influence by default because you're trying to um, reduce the risk of voices and ways of work and 
doing and being together that might introduce other design goals. You know, and this goes all the way back to, you know, white supremacist legacy within this country to the plantation, plantation economy. And um, it's not, that's not hyperbole. You know, there's a, a, a scholar, Dr. Caitlin Rosenthal, who's done a lot of work tracking um, the brutality of uh, operations of the plantation economy directly to present day, the, direct, the lineage of which directly to present day management um, textbooks. Mm. So, you know, if we want to exist in an economy and society that does not extract community wealth, that does not extract from labor, that does not continue to re-encode white supremacy again and again into our institutions, then we really need to examine what is the design goal by which our work practices descend? And is that the goal we want to be working towards? Are those the right goals? And if not, and when we start from a different place, what do we end up doing in our day-to-day operations as a company or organization? That doesn't mean we don't prioritize profit still, doesn't mean we don't care about retention, but it might mean we broaden our definition of wealth, might mean we broaden our definition of doing well, um, and that we really think towards repair as a society as well. One of the topics that I've noticed you that you write about is economic violence. When I when I when I read that, I was just like, wow. That is an intriguing topic to discuss. Um, and I think there's definitely a form of economic violence happening between employers and employees when we talk about pay not being equitable. But um, what should companies do if they're about to start their pay audit or if they're in the process of working on one right now? Well, um, I mean, I think the topic of you know what it means to live in an economy that encodes itself with lovelessness or you know, leads to the violence of extraction is like a broader topic, obviously, but in terms of just, you know, what, um, what advice I'd have for companies that are looking to audit a variety of their systems, maybe not just their, their pay system, um, would be to really think about um, sharing decision-making authority around how the, what questions are being asked to begin that audit. So thinking about um, diversity inclusion of who's in the room um, to set those questions, um, thinking about who's going to access the, the data that comes from that audit, um, and who's going to make the decisions about what changes get made. Um, I think so often we think about inclusion and participation as something that happens through a process that's, that's designed by an executive team or designed by a consultancy that comes in um, and th- those processes can be great as well, but, you know, there's, there's kind of missing opportunity for greater innovation and quality in our outcomes, um, by baking, uh, by making sure we don't bake the process too far prior to having, um, uh, more voices from across various positions in the company in the design of the design process itself and really thinking critically about who has decision-making authority within that room and how do we more equitably distribute that, as well as even thinking about how do we involve some of our stakeholders outside of the internal company, whether that's customers or, or even those who are impacted by externalities of our company, positive or negative, um, where are their voices within that? 
Absolutely. Like uplift, uplifting voices. I feel like a lot of people may not be comfortable with, with sharing their thoughts. Um, maybe because maybe they fear, um, maybe retribution about their thoughts regarding not only pay equity, but even equitable, uh, corporate spaces in general. Um, is there something that you typically say to people when they're in that spot? Yes, but it makes a whole lot of sense. (laughs) I think so. Like one (laughs) of the things we can do for each other and just kind of provide that therapeutic space of like, you are not crazy. That makes a lot of sense. There is very good reason you feel that way. Um, The burden to overcome to voice may just be too big. Sometimes it may not be a risk that's um, fair to someone to ask you to take, you know? Um, And I think on a broader context, like, I mean, the risks of um, doing different with work, stepping out of into a different economic system. I mean, it's been very, it's been a very intentional effort um, with particularly within this country to um, make that feel impossible. And the risks of doing different have, you know, often included violence and death uh, when it comes to economic reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know, a variety of different types of risks when it comes to expressing a difference of opinions within a workplace when there's like varying latitude or um, someone's identities, you know, uh, range um, from perhaps like that, those of the executive team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just first to say like, right. so, we should have so much care and empathy for each other and create the spaces um, for that healing and to be able to talk openly about that. I'd also say that at least in our research at Beloved Economies, we've seen a lot of examples of organizations and businesses that have done a really good job of creating psychological safety, creating like actual safety in terms of their, you know, being teeth around policy to not have, um, uh, not have it be possible for negative impacts to happen within a design process and folks speak up and that everyone really, really benefits from a quality perspective of the outcome when that happens. And so when it comes to the roles of the people that are making this change, when um, when people do have a sense of that psychological safety, are the roles typically chief of people? Are they hiring managers? Um, what are those typical functions? In terms of who is creating that process? Yeah. Who, well, from what you've seen, who's like really been involved or super influential in uh, providing an impact? Gosh, we've seen it from the factory floor to the executive mm. level. Mm. Um, you know, it's more of a type of person than mm. it is a position. And more than a type of person, I guess it's a type of community. So mm. um, uh, a group of people that, whether it's two people <laughs> or 10 within a whole department, that um, are committed to practicing differently together and create a culture of um, curiosity and support of one another so that when there is backlash, they're, you know, can support each other and can learn forward. But we've seen it across positionality and, and often not in like a, you know, an HR position or something. Not, not that HR can't do that, but just not to pigeonhole that that's, you know, where this has to come from from a culture making perspective. 
Right. And I think that there's definitely something to say about that, because a lot of times when it comes to diversity and equity and inclusion, um, a lot of the, the, the onus or just uh, process improvement um, support or that responsibility is all on the HR team. It's all on the right. recruit, recruiters. Um, so it's cool yeah. to hear you say that, too. And, you know, just to switch gears a little bit, I really love the composition of the resources that you've created for for people that follow you. So you have your book, you have your podcast, I know that you have blog, your, your blog as well. Um, you're continuing to build these resources. And I just really, I listened to The Light Ahead uh, yesterday. Oh, great. Um, and it was just awesome. It was really it took me to a place <laughs> that I'm very, very familiar with. Um, and I just really loved the the sound and just, but also the fact that it really is, is a real, it's a relatable situation, but it, it feels like something that could happen almost like handmaid's tale, but like in a different, of course, a different, uh -huh. but, uh, but no, could you talk a little bit about the light ahead, uh, your podcast, and um, yeah, anything you want to share on that? Sure. And let me just say to my phone went on auto mute there. So when you were talking about HR, I was hyper affirming you. You just couldn't hear me. <laughs> oh. <not>. Totally, totally. <laughs> I was like, oh, awkward pause. Thanks for people I'm with you. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for what you said about the resources. And just to clarify too, like I am one member of a, of, um, you know, I was co- director of the research for blooded economies but that research included 60 individuals from a whole bunch of different companies and organizations that were all together as a co-learning community and then also beloved economies um, has been a campaign alongside the the book launch with the, which contains the outcomes of the research of an amazing team of activists and organizers so you know there's so many people working on these things but i've been really grateful um, for the role I've gotten to play with in it. And it's been very fun. And The Light Ahead's been one of the projects I've been um, most involved with in addition to the book. And um, yeah, it is, it is a fun thing. So just to, for those listening that haven't listened to the podcast, The Light Ahead, yeah, we, we encourage you to. And it's fun because it's speculative fiction. So it's these short scripted fiction episodes set in 2030 under the premise of what would it be like if we had an economy that worked for everyone? What would it be like if we lived in a beloved economy, whatever that might mean to the listener, um, from sci-fi to romantic comedy and how we <laughs> had those episodes created as we paired activists that were doing economic organizing with Hollywood screenwriters. And the activists would share what they were organizing towards and you know some of their vision of what they hope could exist. And then the screenwriters like made it come to life in story form. Um, through like a day in the life so that the details of this other economy that our businesses and companies and organizations could exist within that, you know, um, in the not so distant future, perhaps if we made different choices, um, that that's almost just the background. <laughs> you just get to kind of like pick up on those details by getting immersed in a like mystery, you know, <laughs> or romantic comedy episode. So that's our purpose for that podcast is to try to expand our imagination as leaders, as workers, as entrepreneurs, in terms of what what could the environment and context be like that we could be operating within? What could a day in the life be like within that context? 
Um, and it could be so many different things, right? In the U.S. mind, particularly, I think we sometimes get so trapped by these isms, like, well, if it's not capitalism, then it must be socialism or communism and, you know, da, da, da. But why? Like, who said it's just three options, you know? Right. So we're just really trying, sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but we're just really trying to expand <laughs> the imagination of what it could be. And let's just stay out of the isms. Let's just walk into what is the kind of economy I want to be like? And what do I need to change as a company or business to, to exist today as close as possible to that economy? And let's not prescribe an ism to it. Let's just be like, it's a better life. I'm happier. I walk down the street and I have time to spend with my neighbors. I have right. access to healthy food. My people are paid well. <laughs> like whatever it is, you know, right. let's build that economy. And that's what we hope the podcast helps inspire people towards. Definitely. And I feel like people can find themselves in these characters. Um, and I think there's this part that I really liked where the security guard, um, first of all, the <laughs> security guard was happy, <laughs> which hardly ever happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then his, and then there was this like su supervisor who was just nice, generous, um, and just you know, helpful. And he urged his employee to just pick up his kid from school, leave early. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare. Um, I love the fact that they used natural medicine in the, in the mm -hmm. episode. So like mm -hmm. those little things, I'm just like, you know what? People live that life now, but it's not a norm in a lot of ways, uh, right, especially when it comes right. to the cost of healthcare. So, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You all really crushed it with that podcast though. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're releasing a toolkit around it this spring, um, both for uh, screenwriters to be able to go deeper on um, writing into worlds like this for film and television, but also for business leaders. So, you know, how can we take each episode and imagine like, what does the business look like within the episode you're talking about? Not that there's any one way, but, you know, could we provide some prototypes to kind of help us all imagine as, as business professionals? Um, so if there was one action you would urge your DEI leaders that are listening right now to take after listening to this episode, um, what would that action be? Gosh, um, well, I mean, the easy answer, and I don't mean for this to be canned or something, but just quite authentically, if, if anyone listening is interested in the research outcomes of beloved economy, let, came, it came to light that there were seven practices that these businesses and organizations did across the board, independent of industry, whether it was a disaster recovery, a hospital department, et cetera, um, uh, that were really effective in transforming how they worked, um, particularly when it came to uh, inclusion and participation. So the book talks about these seven practices. We also have them on our website. You don't need to buy the book to, to learn about them. Um, so, uh, but we go deeper in the book and, and that's all on belovedeconomies.org. But I, I think in general, beyond that too, I would just say like really meditating on um, power, having a good power analysis for your organization, for your company and how that connects to your power analysis or structural power analysis of, you know, the economy as a whole and place yourself within it and be like, where, what do I personally want to be doing when it comes to how power moves in this organization? What do I want it? How do I want it to be? And then how does that affect the decisions we make in hiring and onboarding 
and culture making. Um, and you know, my, my bent towards that is like, how do we just consistently think about sharing decision-making authority and sharing an ownership? You know, if the ownership structures don't change, we ain't changing much, right? <laughs> like I think not every, not everything has to look like a cooperative, but you know, money's still gonna flow one direction. So if we're serious about transforming our way of work, if we're serious about DEI, if we're serious about wealth retention for our communities, then we need to be serious about thinking about ownership structure shifting. We cannot end it any better than that. Jess Remington, thank you so much for joining us for the Voices of Inclusion podcast. This was a really informative conversation. I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for making time today. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.